Well, how's everybody doing? If you are just joining us, happy Easter. I'm the pastor. My name's Tyler. It's going to be a great day. Today, I'm going to talk about Jesus. Very simple. And I want to start with a verse. It's one of the more famous verses about the resurrection. It's in Luke 24. And it just simply says this, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen. Come on. He is risen. It's just fun. You know what I'm saying? I remember the first, by the way, the first time to church, I thought that was weird, but now I like it. And so just give it some time. You're going to love it. I promise. Uh, He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of a sinful man and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. That third day is what we're representing today. There are more paintings painted of him, more books written about him, more songs sung to him than anybody else ever in human history. He had no degree, but they called him teacher. He won no battles, but he conquered the world. He had no army, but kings feared him. He had no medicine, but they called him healer. They killed him, put him in a tomb, yet he lives today. He's the greatest human ever to live. His name is Jesus. Billions gather today in churches around the world to celebrate this thing called resurrection. And I believe it's such a big deal to you and to me, and I think we should give it some thought. I think we should give Jesus' life some thought because if I could be honest, I think all of us believe we should live forever. If you're not a believer, you're coming to church, you're not a Christian, you're like, what is this? Why were people raising their hands? Why were they excited? It's because I found out when I was 16 years old that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. It says in Ecclesiastes, they took this thing called eternity, this massive thing called eternity, and placed it in our hearts. We know we're supposed to live forever. We know it can't end after a number of years. There's this desire in us because we know we're eternal beings, but we live in these mortal bodies. So Jesus came to earth to make what we made wrong and he made it right. He became us on the cross so we could live like him today. He tasted death so we could say yes to life. He tasted brokenness so we could uh, taste restoration. Oh, he was rejected so today you could be accepted by Jesus. It's an amazing thing. So this is actually the title of my message, Jesus Always. Everybody say Jesus Always. I have three points, very simple. (laughs) Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? And what does it mean for us today? Does that sound good? Uh, also, I'll just give you a little heads up. I preach sometimes 45 minutes to an hour, but today's Easter. So I thought I would just preach for 30 minutes uh, for a number of reasons. One is, who's hungry for some brunch, yeah? Yeah, yeah, you're welcome, okay? Um, but these 30 minutes, I'm gonna go hard to the paint. I'm gonna give you everything I got. I'm gonna give you the word of God, which I believe is the most important thing for you to hear today. And my prayer at the end of these 30 minutes, if you didn't know who Jesus was and why he came, what it means for you today, that Maybe today, I remember being 16, coming to church, thinking a lot of this was weird. But man, if, if you got a document in the mail that said that you had just inherited $100 million, you would investigate it, wouldn't you? You would at least process it. Well, there's a book, 66 books uh, long, written by over 40 authors, that declares that you are a son and daughter of the living God. Maybe you should investigate it. 
It will change your eternity. It will change your today. So I investigated it. Started reading books from like theologians from Princeton, like letters from a skeptic, Case for Christ. I wanted to know, was this Jesus real? And when I went on this journey, I found out not only was Jesus real, but Jesus died for me, loves me, and wanted to give me a life that I never could have had. Does this sound like an okay message? All right, we better have someone pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you've already done in service today. I, I just, again, I, I believe that nobody here is on accident. I believe that they're here for such a time as this. I believe it's on purpose. I believe that you have a, um, a blessing for every person in the house today. Your word says that you know every hair on our head. Lord, you know every uh, trial we went through, every valley we've tasted, every fire we've walked through. And so, Father, today, I pray that our ears would be ready to hear what you have for us, that our hearts would be prepared to receive what you have. And I, I pray I get out of the way, that my words fall to the floor and that your words soar. Oh, we need you, Jesus. We need you. And everybody sit. All right, so who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? C.S. Lewis said it best, and I think you're going to have to come to this conclusion maybe today or maybe uh, this will set you on a journey. But here's what C.S. Lewis said. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. This hymn is Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, he would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus came on the scene and he declared things like this. I am Savior. I am resurrection. I am life. I am the Messiah. These are great declarations from only one person that can make him, a man who is fully God and fully man. And so he came on the scene to show people a better way of life, to give them a freedom that they could never have. And so we're going to look at a couple points of why he came. So who he is is I believe that he's Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, Messiah. He's my Savior, and he could be your Savior if he isn't already. But why did he save me from hell? So I could just live another 50, 60 years on earth and just go to basketball games? I love the Warriors. Who loves the Warriors? Where are my Dove fans at? Come on. I need, your, I need our prayer team on it, okay? We're in the playoffs. Come on now. Come on now. Uh, we have a prayer team small group for the Warriors. That'd be hilarious. Okay. Um, why not? Why not? Uh, just pray about it. Uh, so we're going to look at a few reasons why Jesus came. He didn't just come to just change your eternity after you die. He came to change your today. He came to change today for you. He came to actually change your life and your mind and your heart and your brokenness. And so one of the first things I want to do is I want to read a verse, and here's one of the reasons why Jesus came. First point is Jesus came to set you free. Everybody say freedom. Luke 4, 17 through 19, Jesus was not um, hiding anything. He said, said this, rolled a prophecy out of Isaiah. It goes this way. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Another translation would say this, to, to take the burden from the burdened. I, if you came to church last month, I'll just be honest. Uh, I, I've talked about having kids a lot now because it's the first time my wife and I are going to try to have kids, okay? Uh, and my wife hates it. That's our, that's our prayer team for our kiddo, okay? Um, and so... 
my wife hates it. She says TMI, but we're going to, for the first time, married seven, you're going to try in June. So I'm super excited. But my mind goes there all the time now. I just start thinking about like, man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have a son. And if you don't know, my son's name is going to be Michael Jordan Johnson. Uh, it's, it's, wow. Okay. That was my wife's reaction also. And she hasn't said yes, but I'm believing. Okay. The warrior prayer team, could you pray for that also? Um, so, uh, I believe that eventually she's going to come around. She just doesn't know it yet. Um, so anyway, so Michael Jordan Johnson, going to be my son's name. Our daughter, we have a couple ideas, Hope uh, or Hero or Rain or something like that. Rachel has a lot of fun names for our daughter. Pray. Um, so <laughs> anyways, so I start getting really excited about my son being born and my daughter being born, either one. And so like if my son's the first one to be born, I, I start getting excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to you know, go golfing with him. I'm going to get a golf club in his hand when he's like two and I'm going to record everything. And so when he wins the Masters, we'll have video of him winning the, when he was two saying, I want to win the Masters. It's going to be a great commercial on AT&T. Okay? Anyways, um, I, want, I can't wait to play catch with him in the backyard. I, I can't wait to go to ball games with him. I can't wait to go to their plays. I can't wait to just be a part of their life. But there's another thing I'm really excited about. I'm so excited for my kids to do the chores that I hate to do, okay? I'm just, I'm just gonna be honest. Maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm not ready to be a father, okay? Um, but I cannot wait for my kids to go like, Rachel's like, hey, Tyler, take the trash out. I'm like, okay, you got it. Michael Jordan Johnson, take the trash out. Dad, hey, I'm your father, respect me, take the trash out, you know? I don't like taking the trash out. It's, oh, it just drives me crazy, Blah, you know? Uh, it's one of my least favorite things. If you saw our kitchen, there are three garbage bags still waiting to be taken out for the last three days. Got quiet and weird. Okay. <laughs> then uh, another one is Rachel has me. I'm, I'm the living room clean guy. Keep the living room clean. It's dirty right now. So um, Michael Jordan Johnson, make sure the living room's always clean. And then last but not least, one of my least favorite things to do is bringing in the groceries. I just, I don't know. I, even, and then putting them away. Don't get me started. I don't know how many eggs have gone bad, things that are supposed to go in the fridge that I don't put away. It's just, there's just so many little, I just don't like it. I don't like it. And so I can't wait to take, uh, um, to have my son and raise him up to do things like that also. And, and here's what's fascinating about groceries. And I started thinking about it. And uh, one of my favorite pastors was sharing uh, this little story about groceries. And I loved it. So I just want to share with you is when I was younger, we had four kids in our family. And uh, my, my parents, were, I was the lawnmower, I was the dishwasher, and then I also was the grocery guy. And I came to this place where, I don't know, nobody trains you, it's just your nature to do it this way. If you're going to go get groceries, you don't just grab the milk and walk in, and then you just don't grab the, the vegetables, and then you walk in. What you do is you go to the car, you open it up, and you look at everything. And you're like, okay, if I could put the vegetables here, and I could put the bread here, and I could hold both milks with both arms, I can do this in one trip. You know what I'm talking about? This, this is the way our nature tells us, you can do it, you know? And so, Lindsay, my older sister, she would load me up, and I would have everything, and I remember walking in, and it was like, again, just one trip. I don't have time for two trips, okay? And so, you walk in with the groceries, and you're like, I know, I have 10 more steps to the counter, and it's like breaking you, and your parents are like, why do you do this? Trust me, I know what I'm doing, Mom. Relax. You want me to do it or not? And then you drop it at the table, and then somebody takes all the bags off your arms, and you're like, okay, groceries are done, Mom. You're welcome. But then you get older, and it's interesting when life gets set in front of you, and you get all these things that you're supposed to carry, and we take the same exact approach with our nature. Expectations, just put it right here. All right, the weight of providing, put it right here. The weight of 
making sure that I don't do anything wrong and I don't fail all the people around me, I don't offend them, put it right here on this arm, okay? I'm gonna, okay, keep going, okay, what else is there? You know, oh, this is getting a little too heavy. I should go to church and it should help me. So then you walk into church, but then you walk into the wrong church that's super religious and they're like, hey, so glad you're here. Here's religion, put it on your left arm. <laughs> you're welcome. You're like, oh my gosh, it's even worse than before I came. They're like, oh, we're not done yet. Here's the, um, uh, here's the word uh, we like to call um, our preference. Uh, you gotta do things our way or else you're not gonna fit in at our church. Okay, you're welcome. And they put preference on this other arm and so now you're coming to church, and it's worse than before, and it gets heavy. And what's sad is, is there's no counter, and there's no table to take all these things that the world's put on you and to release them. And so you start to feel this burden, and life gets so hard. And people have to find something to get rid of this weight. Some people drink. Some people find hobbies. They try to go on a vacation. Like, if I, maybe if I go to Hawaii, these things won't follow me there. And then you get to Hawaii, and you're like, why am I still carrying the groceries? emotionally, mentally, physically, everything. So Jesus comes on the scene. He said, I, I came to get all that stuff off you. You're carrying this thing called shame, and it's heavy. You're not supposed to carry shame. You're not supposed to feel like a failure. You're not supposed to have your valleys name you. You are not this. So many people are like, well, I'm just... There's this woman in the Bible named Naomi. And you know what the name Naomi means? It means joy. And Naomi in the Bible, she hits a hard time in her life. It's a sad moment in Naomi's life, but Naomi hits this hard time, and people say, hey, Naomi, and it reminds her of her name meaning joy. And so it's driving her nuts. She goes, stop calling me Naomi. I don't want to be called joy anymore. So she changes her name to which would mean bitterness. This is my new name. You call me this now. And so she has a new name that represents bitterness. And what happens in the world is that we start to carry things so much that you get new names on yourself. I'm just a realist. That's my new thing. I'm a realist. No, 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 you're, you're not a realist. You just have lowered your expectations because you've been hurt so much. Hey, I just like to keep it real. No, 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 this world has made you actually have a new name and a new mindset because it's breaking you. So you have to say, man, I don't even know what to do with my life. I'm going to rename my mindset. And so Jesus came, I'm going to set you free of it. And so my prayer today is when you came here today, Jesus did not come to put shame on you. He came to take shame off of you. Jesus didn't come to put religion on you. He came to take it off you and say, come follow me and let's have a great relationship. He says, watch how I do it. Learn the rhythms of grace. I will not put anything heavy on you. Oh, my yoke, it's, it's, it's light. My burden, it's light. It's enjoyable. If you follow me, it'll be the best life you've ever had. Not, not saying there's not going to be valleys, but the valleys will be different when you're with me, is what Jesus says. And so if you're in the house today, one of the first things why Jesus came for you and for me is to set us free from the burden of this world, the burden of religion, the burden of shame, the burden of offenses, all those things. The only place where those can actually be removed from your life and totally be removed. I'm talking free. I'm not talking compartmentalized. Time does not heal wounds. Jesus heals wounds. He wants to set you free today. That's my first point. Second point, why Jesus came. Very simple. Jesus came to give us an abundant life, an abundant life. I don't mind if somebody rejects the gospel for this one reason. After I'm done sharing a message, they come up to me and they say this to me. You know what? It just sounds too good to be true, Tyler. I don't want it. Jesus is too nice. He's too kind. He's too gracious. He's too committed to me. He wants to bless me too much. I don't like it. I'm out. That's never happened. I just never heard it, heard it that much. Uh, excuse me, could you say that one more time? No, that never happens. Here's what happens the most time. People don't reject Jesus. They reject a broken church or a religious church. Because Jesus, when he comes on the scene, what has happened is the Pharisees have made hundreds and hundreds of rules 
thinking if you follow the rules, you have an abundant life. No, you don't follow rules to have an abundant life. You follow Jesus to have an abundant life. And so he comes on the scene and he says, here are my intentions. And he even gives himself a name. It's called the Good Shepherd. And he says this in John 10, uh, 10. This is why he came. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. It does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Stop. Comes and says, hey, I, I'm the good shepherd. I've come to give you life and life abundantly. I've, I came to give you the fullest life. Anybody here ever have a bad boss? Raise your hand. Or in the house, point to him. Say, this guy right here. Just kidding. That'd be terrible. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, I've had some bad bosses in my day. And again, I've worked in church, so this is going to be kind of telling. It's kind of sad. But I, I remember being in my mid-20s. I'm living in L.A., and I just have this terrible boss. I'm talking to kind of boss where he would yell at me and cuss me out in his office. He actually one time grabbed me and threw me against the wall. Yes, this was a pastor. Not okay. And this is why people leave the church, because they think a pastor represents Jesus. No, he was representing his brokenness. And so he would literally like abuse me, yell at me. I'm in my mid-20s. I didn't really know how to handle it. So all I would do is cry. I would be really upset. I was like, what is going on? I remember calling in sick one time. And he says, next time you call in sick, you come in. I want to see you puke. Then I'll send you home. What, what, kind, what kind of boss says these things? Not only a boss, but what kind of pastor says these things? But this is what's going on. I want to quit church. I want to walk away. And so I call home and I pray. I don't pray the best prayer, but I pray. And so I get home and I sit on the my bed, and I remember crying, and I said, Lord, will you fire him? <laughs> Sometimes the shortest prayers are the most powerful prayers. <laughs> I didn't pray for him to get better. I didn't pray for forgiveness. I just asked, Lord, get him out of here. If you need to take him home, take him home. <laughs> hey, if you can't be honest at church, where I can be honest, okay? So if you offend me, this is how I pray, just so you know. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have matured in my prayers, all right? But I remember just praying, Lord, will you, will you get rid of him? He's, he's ruining my life. When you have a bad boss, it, it, just, it just starts to ruin your day. You, you dread going into work. You dread walking around work. You dread what you're doing. You dread everything about it. Yeah, when you see the uh, thing on the, the person's name on the phone, your, your, your heart sinks. And I remember walking in to work the next week, and my senior pastor tells me, hey, we're firing that guy. I was like, wow, prayers of the righteous man do work. I prayed that. I like, and I didn't really realize, I was telling everybody, I prayed for him to get fired, and he's fired. You're welcome. Anybody else need some help at, at anywhere? I'm your guy. I'm your guy. So if you have a boss that's driving you nuts, let's pray together afterwards. We'll get him out of there, okay? We'll get her out of there, whatever you need. Um, I'm not saying it was a great prayer. I'm just saying I prayed it, and this is what happened. But this is what was amazing. Once he left, oh, my life exponentially better. I got a new boss. I was loving life. My boss loved to golf, so on Fridays we'd go golfing. He would ask me how I was doing. It was this new experience. I was like, man, when, when you have a great boss, it changes everything. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says this, you got a bad boss. This world is a terrible boss. This world will take you for everything. And then when you hit a hard time, the world will just walk away from you. You don't believe this. Look at the news over and over again. When celebrities are famous, oh, everybody's like, you're doing great. And they take from them. Entertain me. Give me, give me, give me. This is the nature of the world. But once you hit a hard time, we're out. Give us the next person that we can feed off of. And this is the nature of human beings. This is our broken nature. And so Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, no human is going to be a great boss. If I'm being honest, you know who the worst boss of everybody is? You. 
I'm my worst boss. I got to fire myself all the time. I, I feel guilty resting. If I were my own boss, I'd say you work seven days a week. Don't do anything wrong. I have a perfection bar for myself. I'm a terrible boss to myself. But Jesus comes on the scene. He says this. This is the kind of boss I am. He says he's a shepherd. And I love what it says in Psalm 23. This is how he describes himself as a boss. And this is, oh, this is David describing his boss. The Lord is my shepherd. He's way better than a boss. He's a shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Look at that verbiage. He makes me lie down. Some of you, you need to hang out with the Lord and say, shepherd, show me what I need today. And some of you have been going so hard, so much, that you're so tired, you're so ran out, and the great boss, a.k.a. the great father, because he's not a boss, it's a father, it's a shepherd and a sheep, a father and a son, a father and a daughter. He wants to give you rest. And not only does he do that, but I love this. He lays me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So when Jesus comes, there's a handful of things that he does. And I know, but I'll just put it this way. There's not one thing that makes a person unhealthy. It's not one thing that will make you unhealthy. It's not one thing that's going to make you healthy. I believe when you say yes to Jesus, it changes your salvation. It changes your trajectory for eternity. But still you have to go through this process of becoming a healthy believer. And so when I look at my life, when I start to get irritable or when I start to get frustrated, I believe that you have to have somebody, that, uh, uh, if I can put it this way, somebody in your life that helps you get healthy and calibrated. Let's picture this way, very simple illustration. Imagine if all of us were cars, okay? Let's just, just bear with me, okay? I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee in my car, and we have a Jeep Wrangler. We love Jeeps. Anybody love Jeeps? Good talk. Okay, anyways, back to my message. Sorry, I sometimes do that. Rabbit, go, uh, Frisbee. Um, so uh, in our Jeep, the last six months, we've had different lights on the dashboard turn on. And so one of them was like this little yellow one that was telling me it had an A and a circle around it. And I was like, I just thought it was telling me I was doing A-OK, -okay, so I just kept driving. Wow, the dashboard's encouraging. Okay. You ignore the light long enough. We have guests coming with us, and I remember hitting the gas, and the car, it's a 2016, starts like shaking. Like it looks like it's like, like trying to shake change out of our bodies or something. And we're on the freeway, and like it barely, then it shuts down, and I turn it back on, and it shuts down, and I barely get into the, uh, the driveway, and it smells like it's burning and smoking. And everybody's like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. That light just turned on. <laughs> I'm not very handy. Anyways. So I remember pulling it into the Jeep dealership, and they look at it, and they look at the light, and like, oh, yeah, yeah, your ignition um, is, uh, is a little um, burnt out, and your fuses, you need new fuses. So I was like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> hey, thank you, you know? And, and so I, one day, it goes into the shop, they put new fuses, work on the ignition, drives like new. Stop. None of us, none of us have a dashboard. We have something way more telling than a dashboard. It's called our face. And when I start to get irritable, when I start to get angry, it's my check engine light going on. When I start to get anxious, when I start to actually get frustrated. Have you ever, have you ever seen somebody at the grocery store and you like accidentally bump into them and they're like, Aah! you're like, whoa, there's more to the story than the bump. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you're in church and it's just somebody says this, hey, welcome to church. And they're like, <laughs> they just start crying like something's going on. I've been there. I've been that guy. Literally, I, I, I've turned on worship music before. I'm like, <laughs> dashboard's going like, relax, rest, 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 rest. It starts to tell on you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you had a dealership and then you could drop your car off every day in the morning and it would get tuned up every day so it would run perfectly the way it's supposed to? The way that I know what I need for my soul, Jesus says, oh, come to me 
and let me be the good shepherd because what the good shepherd would do is that he would lift up the sheep's cloak and look inside and he would see where it was infected and where things were attacking and he would remove it so the sheep would be healthy. And so what the good shepherd does, what Jesus does in our life, he says, I've come on the scene because you need your heart to be healthy. It says, guard your heart above all else for it affects everything that you do, everything. And so when I go in the morning, I need this in the morning. I, I need these things. I need, I need to pray in the morning. I need to read my Bible in the morning. If I don't have those things, this dashboard starts to change a little bit. My wife would be like, you're a little bit irritable lately. You're not getting enough rest lately. And again, it just tells on me. And if you, if you want to live the life that you're called to live, then you've got to be able to go to somebody who actually knows how to fix what is broken. Not, not band-aid what is broken, but actually fix what is broken. Not ignore what is broken, but actually fix what is broken. And that's what the shepherd wants to do. He wants to restore what you can't restore. Second thing he wants to do is the shepherd wants to give you rest. Like I said, he makes us lie down. He makes us lie down. I want to catch this real quick. Um, there are two types of people in the world. There are people when the gas light is on, they drive with confidence. And they run that sucker down to the last two miles. That is my wife, okay? And there are people when the tank is at like a quarter tank, they're like, oh my gosh, I only got a quarter tank. I need to fill it up right now. Okay, I'm the, who's the quarter tank people? They're like, oh my gosh, we're almost out of gas. And your spouse like, you got 100 miles. You don't know, you don't know. I don't trust technology. You know, it says 89 miles to empty. We're filling it up, you know. I'm that person, okay? I, if it's at a quarter tank, I'm filling that baby up. That's how I roll. Now my wife, I will get in the car and the E cord will go like this. And I'm like, is this thing gonna run? She's like, I know this, I know this thing. I know our baby, I know our baby. You'll be able to get to the gas station. I'm like, why do you do this? She's like, trust me, I know it. And so she runs it down to the very bottom. This is how my life rolls, okay? Same thing, picture yourself as a car. One of the greatest things, it's not one thing that gets you into trouble, it's not one thing that gets you out of trouble in the sense of getting you to the life you're supposed to. I think one of the greatest things that Jesus wants to give us people, the shepherd wants to give us, is he wants to give us rest. People who go far in life, People who enjoy life are not the ones that run the fastest, that drive the best. It's the ones that know how to refuel the best. It's the ones that know how to refresh their soul the best. It's the ones that know how to take care of their heart the best. And so for me, if I, if I could be honest, I see people sometimes and I picture when I'm talking to them because you know what's popular? Being busy is popular. How you doing? I'm busy, man. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I even added a new day to the week. I got eight days. What's up with you? What? I'm busy. This is the badge of our culture. And so a lot of people, if you looked at your dashboard, your gas light is on. And when the gas light's on and Rachel does it for me, this is how I drive the car. I barely touch the gas, and then I let it go down the hill. And my, my uh, Jeep shows me they're getting 97 miles to the gallon. And then uh, when uh, we hit a hill, I got to pit the gas, and it's like four miles to the gallon. And it's just draining me. It's just draining me. And so what happens is a lot of us, when your gas light's on, you actually hit the gas even harder. If I just hit the gas harder, I'll get through this empty season. No, hitting the gas more actually just runs you out more. Jesus comes on the scene and says, follow me. Watch how I do life. Watch how I refresh my soul. There's this moment where Jesus is walking, and there's this woman who's bleeding. She touches Jesus' robe, and Jesus stops, and he says, somebody touched me. Power left me. Uh, fuel left me. Virtue left me. The word he uses in this, in this verse in Mark 5, he says, power has left my body. And Jesus, King God, Holy Spirit, power, everything. When somebody touched him, he knew his body so well, he goes, something has left me because he would pour his life out daily. But you know what else he would do? He would always get away and pray. He would always get away and refresh his soul. And so if you're in the house today, one of the things I want to encourage you, if you remember nothing, this is one of my, my mentors, this is what he tells me all the time. This is just a great quote. Love God, sleep well, you'll do great in life. Boom, that's it. Love God, sleep well. 
if you can actually have a resting rhythm in your life, Jesus even puts it in the Bible. It's called Sabbath. Once a week, completely rest. Rest in his promises, rest in what he did, rest in him and see what happens in your life. The shepherd came to actually make you lie down and say, stop it. The world does not depend on you working seven days a week. Your, your family's not going to be great if you go seven days a week hard. If, if you're not good to yourself and rest, you're not going to be good to anybody. Last thing he does, and I love it, Jesus comes on the scene. He comes to give us this thing called committed relationships. Committed relationships. And this committed relationships, I, I find it interesting that in our culture today, and I'll just I'll speak from my context because it's the only context I can speak from. I'm a, uh, I'm a pastor, so when I started senior pastoring, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that bad. It could be better, but it's, it's solid right now. All right? All right. This is terrible, Mom. Get me out of here. Anyways. Um, anyways. Anyways. Um, I, I remember when we started the church, and I just heard so many stories of pastors who pastored churches of 1,000, 10,000, 20,000, and then they would just freak out, and they would have an affair. They would steal money. They would lose it. And then I remember moving to L.A., and I would see famous people just snap. Like, you know, like literally just absolutely just snap. I actually got to hang around some people that were pretty famous. I actually went on a date with Kelly Clarkson. We'll talk about it later. Whatever. Uh, it's cool. I told Kelly, Kelly, not interested. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's a long story, but, yeah, I, I decided not to pursue her. Anyways, um, but I got to be around a lot of people that had fame and money, all that kind of stuff in L.A., then I moved up to the richest place in all of the U.S. All the money in the world. I mean, we are the richest pocket in all of the U.S. It's, it's an amazing stat. What I found out about pastors is they don't need more people to come to their church. They need more people committed to them relationally. We don't need more acquaintances. 5,000 people going to your church, but you don't even have five people that are committed in the valleys and the peaks. You're making millions, but if you actually hit a valley, is there five people you could call that would sprint to your side and say, I'm going to walk with you? Is there, is there 10 people, actually, when you actually have a great day and you get to celebrate your life, is there anybody you can call and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. I love celebrating with you because our culture hates celebrating with people. They love watching people fall. Look at the news. Even in church, when you celebrate with people, I love using this illustration, but I can tell when somebody actually doesn't like celebrating. Hey, I just got a new promotion. Great. I hate my job. High voice tells on you. Do not do the high voice. Just do anything but the high voice. They're like, oh, I'm so happy for you. They're like, oh, yeah, I got a new car. You did. I'm like, why am I saying high voice? Because we don't like celebrating. Like, it tells on me when I don't want to celebrate with somebody. I'm like, I, my car has a little yellow light on. I want to talk about it. Catch this real quick. If you want to understand what Jesus is doing throughout his journey, he comes to this man named Peter. And it's the very beginning. He says, Peter, follow me. And the Greek and in, those, uh, in that culture, he was, what he's saying is, I choose you. I choose to have a relationship with you. I choose to invest in you. I choose to show you the way of life. And so Peter starts following Jesus. Peter goes through this journey of life, and he follows Jesus, and he fails. He makes mistakes. He has valleys. He has some amazing moments. He walks on water. No other disciple did that. Uh, I mean, all these great things that Peter does. And then when Jesus goes to be crucified, Peter makes this declaration before it happens, I will never deny you. If everybody else denies you, I will never do it. Again, Peter was one of those classic overpromisers, underproducers in this season of his life. He's promising people everything, but then falling short. So he promises the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, this rash statement. And then when Jesus gets taken captive and starts to pay the price that we start to pay, Jesus deni uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. 
And Peter is so upset about this that Peter actually goes back to his old life. He, 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 it shows in John 21, it's like this amazing chapter in John where um, uh, he's reminiscing about the 40 days of Jesus' resurrection, and Peter is now fishing again. He goes fishing. And he actually takes six of the disciples with him. It's one of those nights where, I don't know about you, but I've had some failures. And when we fail, we just go back to what we know. And whatever that is, it could be fishing, it could be alcohol, it could be work, it could be I'm going to find success in my identity, whatever it is. But, but Peter goes back to fishing. And, and some disciples, Peter is such a leader, some disciples that aren't even fishermen, they're tax collectors. They're like, well, I guess if Peter's fishing, I guess I'll fish. And you need to understand something, even in that pearl, that leadership is this thing that's been given to you. And you can lead people either to the past, you can lead them to the future, or you can lead them to Jesus. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to lead them to, to, to freedom, to joy. And so Peter's fishing, and it's this amazing uh, story, but basically he catches nothing. Jesus shows up, catches a bunch of fish. We'll share that in a few weeks. It's an amazing story we're going to share uh, in May. But the real powerful story is when they start eating dinner together, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. And he goes on, and if, if you have your words, it's in John 21. I'm just going to paraphrase it uh, to save a little bit of time. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, uh, stories in all the Bible. But he asked Peter three times, do you love me? So Peter denied him three times, and now Jesus is going to talk to him and ask him three times, do you love me? I don't know about you, but I have a handful of friends that are really close to me. When something weird happens, I don't know if you do this, but like something weird happens, you kind of just ignore it for a couple days, and then you just move past it. You're like, hey, it never happened. So good to see you again. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's not healthy, by the way, uh, but that's even how we handled it in our, in our house, okay? My dad would flip out. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My dad didn't know the Lord very abusive home, so my dad would flip out. All of us would act like we didn't see it. All of us act like we didn't experience it. And then a couple of days later, we'd just move on from it. It was this unhealthy cycle of never dealing with what was destroying us. And so Peter has this failure, and Jesus is so committed to him. You need people like this in your life, so committed to have hard conversations. Because he asks Peter, do you love me? He goes, of course I love you. So then feed my sheep. He goes, do you love me, Peter? And Peter goes, you know I love you. Well, then take care of my sheep. He says a third time, do you love me? He goes, you know I love you. But then take care of my sheep. And in one of these questions, it says that Peter was pained by the question. He was pained by it. Because Jesus was so committed, he didn't want to have a surface level conversation. I'm not your acquaintance, Peter. I'm not going for just like, hey, did you like the score of the game yesterday? Oh, wow, I'm so glad the sun's here. Oh, you have allergies? Me too. Great talk. We should do this again sometime. No, that's not what he's going for. He's going straight to the heart. Peter, Peter, I know you feel like you failed. I know you feel like you're done, and you're a fisherman. I did not call you to fish for fish. I called you to change the world. And so he goes straight for the heart. It's a heart conversation. It's a committed relationship uh, conversation. And so Peter answers three times, yes, I love you. And at the very end, you know what Jesus says at the bookend of his relationship with Peter? Follow me, representing I still choose you. For this to work, Peter, for you to have the life for you to do what I call you, for you to change the world, for you to overcome failure, because all of us are going to fail. Why Jesus came, what the resurrection represents, is though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets up seven times. When Christians fall, it doesn't define them. We get back up. When Christians fail, it doesn't define us because we have this resurrected Savior that shows that failure is not actually what defines us. It's our restoration that defines us, that I'm new, that I'm a brand new creation. And so Peter, here's this, I'm committed. I'm committed to you, Peter. You failed at the highest level, and I still love you, and I choose you, and I'll go change the world. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to finish with this last point. So we talked about who is Jesus. And I, and I even just asked that, um, asked that question, who is Jesus? Not to just say it, but there is this amazing 
history to the Bible, that you actually study just history outside of the Bible. 500, plus people, 500 people saw Jesus raised from the dead afterward, hanging out for 40 days. You, you study history. Other religions, other historians that don't even believe in Christianity identify Jesus as a real man. So I came to this conclusion in my life that Jesus was not just some man, but he was Savior, he was Lord, that he died on a cross, that he sits on a throne, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. That is a question that you'll have to wrestle with if you haven't wrestled with it before. Who is Jesus? I just unpacked why he came. He didn't come to give you religion. He didn't come to be some absent God. He came to be involved in your life and to restore you. That's why he came. So what does it mean for today? So when we leave church today, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? And here's what Peter says about the resurrection. It's in 1 Peter 3. I love it. 1 Peter 3, it says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Everybody say great expectation. So I grew up in the cassette era. So cassettes, when I was a kid, my favorite song when I was in fifth grade was Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You from The Bodyguard. Remember that movie? Great movie, okay? Loved it. So my sister and I would wait for the radio. I'd put the cassette in, and right when it started, you'd have to press record. And then after it was in, because you don't want to waste the tape, then you'd stop recording. You'd be like, we got it. We got the Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. We recorded it. And then you'd play it. And then you'd have other songs on there, so you'd have to rewind and then press play. And you'd miss it sometimes. Like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'll listen, I'll listen to a little bit of Salt and Pepper, whatever it was back in the day. Um, I like Salt and Pepper, I'm not going to lie. Um, little Dr. Dre, I had all that kind of stuff on this uh, disc. So anyways, and then when he would come on, I'd be like, ah. Oh. And then these things came, uh, called CDs came out. And we were like, oh, my goodness, I can go straight to the song? This is the greatest invention ever. Nothing will ever be greater than CDs. I remember declaring CDs are the greatest invention ever. They're changing the game in music. You put it in your car, you can go to the next song. It was life-changing. And then Apple came out with this thing called the iPod. And I was like, mind blown. You're telling me I don't, that my CDs are inside this little itty-bitty box? And like I can put a thousand songs? And all you're gonna charge me is $500 for fun? That's how much it was back in the day, by the way. And I remember buying the video iPod, and the screen was this big. I was like, I was watching Friends on it. I was like, technology's amazing, you know? <laughs> I think that's Ross and Rachel. I'm not sure, you know? For 500 bucks, I'm just going to say it is, you know? Um, but I remember, like, holding this iPod. I'm like, oh, it will never get better than the iPod, and, and buying songs for 99 cents and all those kind of things. And then Spotify comes. I'm like, hold on. I give nine bucks, and I can listen to anything I want all the time, millions of songs. And what happens in our life if I could just be honest, is some of you have never moved on from the VHS cassette. None of you have moved on from it. This is just life. This is just how it is. This is what I got when I was, what I had 20 years ago, and I'm just settling in. It is what it is. I'll never forget. I mean, I have a ton of these. I remember, I remember PlayStation 1 coming out, saying graphics could never be better than this. Wow, it looks like I'm actually playing football with these guys, you know? And now there's like VR stuff, which in a whole different ball game. Uh, or, anyway, I don't want to talk about that. Um, and then I remember Netflix, Netflix coming out, and they would mail you movies. And I'm like, okay, so I get free movies. I just keep mailing back. This is the greatest. And then they would actually mail you a disc where the disc would actually play the movies for you. And then now you can just go online and spend about 40 minutes looking at stuff and never choosing anything. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> Netflix is ruining our life, all right? Years are being stolen from us, okay? Before... Free tip, before you open Netflix, decide what you're going to watch. Don't even open it up yet. Just say, we're going to watch this show and then click on it. I'm telling you, life will be better, okay? Game Boy. I remember Game Boy would be like, oh my gosh. What, what's next, flying cars? 
This is, this is, this was my experience. I'd always sell myself short. I, I, I just, I never lived with expectation. Whatever you gave me, I just settled on. And some of you today, your life, you have settled on, this is just my life. But Peter, it's an amazing thing. In 1 Peter 3, he goes on a run-on sentence. The, pers- the, the translations, they do us a favor and they put punctuation in there. But for 12 sentences, Peter's like, now we live with this great expectation and this hope because I, I, I got to read it to you. It's so good. He goes on to say, this salvation, in verse 10, it goes, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within the time was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and this great glory afterward. He goes on, he goes, they were told the message was not for themselves, but for you, for us. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. This is what he's saying. The the angels watch the church because here's what the resurrection represents. On Good Friday, when Jesus died on a cross and everything looked bleak and they put him in a tomb, all heaven was doing was counting down from three. Oh, they think this is the worst. No, three two, one. Roll the stone away. Jesus conquers death. He changes the game forever. And what happens from there, this is what it's talking about. They're eagerly watching. Okay, okay. We heard about this. Jesus told us he was going to conquer the grave. We just saw death defeated for thousands of years. Men and women were oppressed by shame and sin, and they had this brokenness that nobody could heal, and Jesus just started a new grace that can redeem everything. And so then they watched Jesus for 40 days restore Peter. They're like, oh my gosh, the resurrected king is resurrecting Peter and showing Peter that failure doesn't define him. And so the resurrected king goes around and shows people, oh, this is, there's more, there's more, I'm not done yet. There's more to life, there's more to life. And so then after he dies, a hundred and something people now have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living with them in the, it's called the day of Pentecost. They, they go up to this room and again, guess what they're doing? Okay, we just saw the VHS of Christianity. That was amazing. Oh my goodness, I'm watching the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit falls and the church that was a hundred and something goes to thousands of people in one day and all of the angels are going, can it get any better than this? Thousands of people just got saved. They're being healed and they're sharing and they're loving people. In the book of Acts, it's this first part of the church's journey and it's going, oh my goodness, look what the church has done. The world is being transformed. Uh, The oppressed are being set free. The poor are being taken care of. The church is loving the world. Jesus is real love and they're seeing love and not religion. And so this amazing moment. And then after the, the book of Acts, the Roman Empire, Constantine makes Christianity legal, and it kind of takes a little step back for a second. And so they're probably watching like, oh, I guess that was it. That was the CD generation. We got the CDs, awesome. And then the Dark Ages happen. And the Dark Ages, basically nobody had the word of God and they were holding it back. But the last hundred years has been, here's the iPod, here's the, 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 the little one, then the, the, then the video iPod, then now here's the one, the, the iPhone. And, and what's been happening the last hundred years is, is going from thousands to hundreds of thousands to hundreds of millions to billions of people. Do you know heaven right now, the angels? This is what they're doing right now to our service. They're eagerly watching how many people are gonna get saved today on the earth. We saw one man conquer death. And now we're gonna see millions of people saying yes to conquering death with them because you're saying yes to life and you're walking away from death. This is why we watch with eager expectations every Sunday. That is why Easter is such a big deal to us because Jesus came to change everybody's life. Don't settle. Don't settle for this is it. I'm not settling for the church this is it. The least church region is gonna become the most church region. A broken region where there is depression at an all-time rate, where suicide is skyrocketing. I will not say this is it. 
I will not be there. No, I will say I am dreaming with great expectation as heaven watches with us saying, I know that a region will be restored. Families will have a life they never thought they could have. Don't settle for a CD life. Don't settle for a color iPod life. Settle for something way bigger than that. It's called a life with Jesus. Oh, that's, the, that's, what, that's what Easter is. So when you leave today, when you leave on Monday, heaven's going to watch. And maybe something like your mind or your heart or a marriage or a family needs to be restored. Heaven's watching eagerly how Jesus is going to do that in your life. Walk with eager expectations. Will you bow your heads with me?